there, my name is Jody Van Wingerden and I am on staff here at CM. I am also a seminary student and maybe it's obvious that my route to seminary was not a direct one after college. Um, I graduated from college before some, most of you were even born. And while you guys were talking and walking for the first time and surviving the nightmare that is middle school and getting braces, I was doing this thing you all call adulting. So adulting has included all kinds of different things. Sometimes it looks a lot like I imagined it would, and sometimes it looks nothing like I imagined it would. One of the things that I've been doing since I went to college, or since I graduated from college, is I got married and had a family. And I'm going to get a little help with the pictures tonight, right? So here's picture one. So those are my kids. Aw, right? Come on, aw. All right. So Anna is 16. She's a junior in high school. Will is 13. He is an eighth grader. And then Ari is eight. He is in third grade. And all three of them have birthdays coming up in the next couple of months. And one of the things that tends to happen in our family around birthday time is that we tell the stories about when they were born. So here's another picture. So that was the first one. So, yeah, I was a little younger there. <laughs> Um, so when Anna was born, or when Anna's birthday comes around, we talk about how completely clueless we were when she was born. We talk about how tiny and fragile she was when we put her in that car seat and we had to take her home, and we were so scared, I sat in the back seat next to her, and we avoided all the highways because we didn't want to drive too fast. And then about two blocks from home, a black cat darted out in front of our car, and we had this panicked conversation in the space of about two minutes, like, what do I do? I don't know, but you can't slam on the brakes. And so it ended in our running over the cat. <laughs> and it was Halloween day. So, so here's a picture of when Will was born. <laughs> See, this is just an excuse for me to share all these pictures, right? So, but we talk about how Will was born quickly and he came early and how now that we know his personality that totally fits because he was the kid who, he didn't walk, he just went right to running and he's a true extrovert and he's curious about the world. And we talk about how there was a blizzard the next morning and how all the schools were canceled and how Anna insisted on wearing her fanciest clothes for when she came to see him at the hospital the first time. And then when Ari was born, so we talk about how every single night for more than a year, Anna prayed desperately to have a baby brother or sister. And then when the phone call came to her second grade classroom that her baby brother had been born, she literally stood on her desk and the entire class cheered for her. <laughs> and then we talk about how Will, who was four, wanted to name him Stinky Farthouse. <laughs> so one more picture of them, and then I'll leave you. <laughs> So the stories don't stop there, right? We tell our kids all kinds of stories about them. Sharing the stories is a super amount of fun, but it also has other benefits. Those stories tell our kids that they have been loved from the beginning, that they are important to us, that our family, our life would not be complete without them. Telling those stories actually helps form their identity. It shapes who they are, and it gives them a sense of security. And so that identity and security help them go through life and then sustain them on days when being part of our family looks and feels a little more like this. Next picture. <laughs> because that's real. <laughs> so enough with the pictures. We're going to move on. But at the, well, this year we've been telling stories, right? The one big story. 
And at this point, we've worked our way through the book of Genesis. So here's the graphic from this series. So through Genesis, there's God's grand idea for creating the world. There's the temptation in the Garden of Eden that proves too much for us to resist. God's promise to restore creation. God's promise to restore our relationship with him. And then the way that God put this plan into motion with the promise to Abraham and the way God followed through on that promise with Isaac and Joseph and Jacob. And now we get to Exodus, which is, there we are. So this evening we're going to look at Exodus chapter 15. So you can turn your Bibles, and if you need one, you can raise your hand, and there are people who will bring you one. Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble in the fields. <clears throat> By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted. I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you, you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel, a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. 
So whether or not you're familiar with this story of how the Israelites left Egypt, it's obvious when you read chapter 15 that something pretty big has just happened. So we've got a bit of catching up to do. Let's take a look at what happened in the first 14 chapters. No, it's not working? Okay, so I'll catch you up. <laughs> so, last week we learned that Joseph, who had been brought to Egypt as a slave, in a Hollywood-worthy turn of events became Pharaoh's right-hand man. And he invites his entire family, his father and his brothers and their wives and children and everything, to live with him in Egypt. So in Exodus 1, we learn that this family grows and grows, that they were so exceedingly fruitful that they filled the land and became known as the Israelites, meaning the children of Jacob, whom God had also called Israel. An entire nation of people. But as the years pass by, Egypt forgets what Joseph did for them. And eventually the new pharaoh freaks out about how many of these Israelites there are. He worries that they're going to join Egypt's enemies and fight against Egypt, and so he enslaves the Israelites in order to make sure this doesn't happen. After a few hundred years, this life of slavery is all that Israel knows. It's the only thing they remember. Just like Egypt, just like Pharaoh, they forget. They forget who they are. They forget where they came from. Abraham has become a distant memory. In fact, it seems that many of them have forgotten who even God is. Because in Exodus 2, we read that they cry out in misery but it doesn't seem they have any sense of who they're crying to. When God introduces himself to Moses in a burning bush in the desert and says to Moses, you are going to bring my people out of Egypt. I am going to rescue them and you are going to help me do it. Moses asks, but who do I tell them you are? I don't think they're even going to know. So God responds that Moses should remind him that God is simply the I am, the one who has always been the God of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So in the next few chapters of Exodus, God sets about reminding the Israelites and Pharaoh and all of Egypt who he is. When Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, God, with all of creation at his disposal, sends plagues to demonstrate his power and might. And each plague, incidentally, demonstrates the absurdity of the gods worshipped by the Egyptians. For example, the Egyptian god of fertility had the head of a frog. So God sends frogs into their houses everywhere, right? The Egyptian goddess of love and protection had the head of a cow. So the god of Israel causes all the cattle to die. The Egyptians' most powerful god, the god of the sun, was no match for the god who created the sun and was therefore able to take away its light. So finally, Pharaoh, who himself was worshipped as the firstborn of this powerful sun god, Pharaoh concedes defeat, and he says, just take the Israelites and go, just get out of here. And so this giant parade of people just up and walks out of Egypt with the god of all creation, the promise-keeping god of their father Abraham, leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So things are looking pretty good for Israel. They're following God out of the slavery they had known and into a new life of freedom. But then, a few days into their hike, 
while they're taking a bit of a break near the sea, rubbing the calluses on their feet and still processing what had actually just happened, they look up and they see that Pharaoh's army is coming after them. Pharaoh, it seems, has suddenly realized the disastrous consequences of losing his entire labor force, and so he sets out to bring them back. And the Israelites are stuck up against the edge of the sea with nowhere to go, and they're terrified. So they're looking ahead at this watery grave, and they're looking behind them at slavery coming to reclaim them. And you know what they say? In Exodus 14, verse 11, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. These are the only two options they see, slavery or death. And a life of slavery seems better than no life at all. How often don't we feel just as terrified? How often aren't we able to see any way forward? We look ahead at the things that overwhelm us, that threaten to drown us, and we look behind at the things that threaten to overtake us. And those are the only things we can see. There are classes and tests and papers that consume our waking hours. And there's a fear of failure that leaves very little room for joy. There are addictions that lurk in our past and cast shadows in our futures. There's depression and anxiety that grip our minds and our hearts relationships that aren't what we thought they were, uncertainty about what comes after graduation, what comes next, what am I supposed to do, where am I supposed to go, what job will I have, what master's program should I go to. And it's all too much for us. We are left exhausted and we are afraid that this is all we will ever know. We are in the middle of it all and we cannot see the way forward. the time of year in Michigan where we visit all the apple orchards, right? Pumpkins and donuts and cider and all that. And a lot of them have a corn maze. Anybody ever done a corn maze? Yeah, right? So the really good ones, when you get to the certain point in the middle, right? When you realize, I have absolutely zero, zero idea where I'm going. I have no idea where to get out. And I don't know about you, but when I get to that point, I usually think to myself, I'm just going to turn around and go out the way I came back in because that sounds a lot easier. And the other way is going to take a super long time and it might never I might never get, actually get out, right? But I wonder how often don't we decide that that way forward for us is too dark and too unclear and that we would have been better off if we had just never come to the place that we're at. And we say, why on earth, God, did you bring me here? Why did you bring us here? Better to have stayed in Egypt. So the terrified Israelites ask this question and Moses responds, but not by telling them how this will turn out, but by reminding them who it is that they are following. In Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. 
And because it seems the bazillions of locusts and frogs and the dramatic exit from Egypt weren't quite enough for the people to remember in their moment of panic who God is, God imagines a way forward that the Israelites never saw coming. Many of us know this story well, right? The sea splits down the middle and the water stands at attention on either side and the Israelites just saunter through the middle on dry ground. And not only that, but at just the right moment, when Israel's safely on the other side but Pharaoh's army is still coming through, God causes the water to collapse again and the entire army is swept away. God, the I Am, dramatically and unimaginably completed the rescue of Israel, delivering them not only from slavery, but through the water, making a way through the middle of what appeared to be certain death, a way that led them to new life. And finally, it seems the Israelites get the picture. They realize who their God is, and they stop. And they take stock of what has just happened, and they are beyond amazed, and they sing praises to God who won't let death get in the way of life. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. This song in Exodus 15, which was sung for hundreds of years before it was finally written down, became a part of Israel's family story. A story about what God has done, and what God is still doing, and what God will do. A story that reminded them who they are, and where they had come from, and who God is the God who keeps promises, the God who rescues, the God who brings freedom out of death. And Miriam, the prophetess, God's spokesperson for the people, she called them to sing this song over and over because she knew. She knew that remembering what God had done would have implications for how they would live in the present and how they would proceed into the future. Remembering who God is would help them move into the future without fear. And not because everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows from there on out, but because they would know who it is they were following. Who it is that had promised life and would imagine their future for them. Like Israel, we worship the same I am, the God of Abraham the creator who cares for us, who knew that we would not be able to find our own way into life, and so God imagined that way for us. And it's the way that leads through Jesus. Jesus who said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ, the Messiah, who brought life through what we were only able to recognize as death. So as we move move forward in this life, are we training our eyes on that uncertain future, those things that we are afraid of? 
Or are we training our eyes on the God who loves us more than we could even imagine? Are we struggling to write our own story? Or are we resting in the story that Jesus has already written for us? Can we remember what has already been done for us and trust God's promise to bring us in and plant us on the mountain of God's inheritance, the place God made for our ultimate dwelling? Like Israel, when we gather together, we tell these family stories. We sing songs about God's faithfulness, and we help each other remember. Because sometimes, when we are stuck up against the edge of the sea, we need help remembering. So right now, we're going to do that. I'm going to invite a couple people from the worship team to come up, and while they're playing, we are going to take time to remember and to celebrate who God is and what God has done. We are going to be reminded about what God continues to do. And we are going to allow these reminders to carry us into the future without fear because, not because we can see the way forward, but because we see God. And we know that God sees that way forward for us. So for the next few minutes, take some time, please, to think about ways that you have seen God's faithfulness. Perhaps there was a time in the past that you now look back on and you can see the ways that God was at work. Or maybe there's something that overwhelms you right now, but you have received moments of assurance in the middle of it. Or maybe there's something that you didn't recognize until just this very moment. So if those of you who are on the ends of your rows could grab the sticky notes that are next to you and pass those down. And I invite you to write those things on the sticky notes. And after a few minutes, we're going to have an opportunity to share those stories in a couple of different ways.
would like to share aloud one of the stories of God's faithfulness. If you could please raise your hand, and Jacob's going to come around with the mic so that you have an opportunity to do that. And together, when all these stories, we collect all these stories together and we share all these stories, we realize, you know, God is not just working in my life, but he's working in the life of the entire community, right? The entire world. And that's what we celebrate, is just this God who is the I am, the creator, who has control and power and might over everything, and yet who speaks into each of our own stories. So if you'd like to raise your hand, and Jacob will bring you the mic. And if you'd rather not share aloud, that's fine. And there will be an opportunity um, in a little while for you to come and post your sticky notes on this whiteboard over here so we have the visual reminder of just how many stories there are that we all share together. And after that, then we will celebrate communion together and share in that remembrance. So if there are stories you'd like to share, feel free to raise your hand. I trust God now because he provided me um, just, this is kind of weird, I can hear my voice. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, it took five years of prayer, and um, it was a long wait. Um, but I never had the means to get, like, any type of um, ID, either from the state or, like, a driver's license. And so just kind of going through high school, it was kind of a struggle just seeing, like, my peers um, being able to have that freedom and just being able to um, just, yeah, um, just kind of be on a kind of different page than I was. And then throughout my freshman year, I was kind of even more struggling because I was like, well, how is God going to provide? And I started to worry and doubt a lot. But um, through just constant <laughs> prayer, um, he was able to give me a great encouragement through friends and the support of my family. And I was able to see um, just how he provided and answered that prayer. And um, I was able to get the documentation that I needed to uh, get an ID. So it took years, but he answered, um, and I was, yeah, um, he just blessed me um, a lot, and that's just one, so there's many more, and I'm sure there's many more that he's uh, provided for you guys, so. <laughs> I really, when I was thinking about this, I really don't have one story, but just one overall theme throughout my life for like the past year and a few months has just been God consistently and constantly showing me through people and situations and conversations that I'm not alone in anything that I'm doing. And I, I could just have a million stories I could share from it, but an overall theme has just been the ridiculous amount of love that he's shown me through people in our community, people around me, and I'm very grateful for that. I am new, so this is my first night. <laughs> um, there was this one time that I found a note in my room. Um, it had a, a bunch of stuff written on it, and I had no idea where it came from. And I still, to this day, don't know where it came from or how it got there, but it was incredibly inspirational in my faith and I don't know where it is anymore. It disappeared. 
but I think about it all the time and I used to read it whenever I was having a rough time and it would give me hope and faith and just it would let me know that I was okay in, even if I wasn't always perfect. Today I, uh, oh, that's louder than I thought it would be. Um, today I walked out of my house that I grew up in for 20 years. Um, ooh, it was a tough weekend. Um, but God did a lot for me in that house. That's, I found Jesus in that house. I was raised in a, a house where um, I just knew that all of this was true. And as our parents were trying to figure out how to sell the house, there were 43 other houses on the market in our neighborhood, and it was not a seller's market. And so they were starting to freak out about how we were going to sell the house. And actually, it sold in under two weeks. Um, and so our parents are going to be able to move to California without having to worry about the house. And the people who are moving into our house have kids who are three and one, which is the same ages that my brother and I were when we moved into the house. So I trust God because if he can do that, he can do anything. I trust God because after about two years of a long and unknown journey of my mom's health, um, she is now almost a month of being cancer-free. Anything. I don't know how to put this, but for six years, I wanted nothing to do with the church. I wanted nothing to do with religion or anybody religious, whether they were in my family or not. And for what ever reason, I came here. I met two people while I was up on the Allendale campus one day just screwing around because I didn't know anybody, and they recommended that I come to the well. I proceeded to not go to the well <laughs> until I actually bumped into Kayla. I bumped into Kayla at Campus Life Night, and she told me about the well down here. And now, for whatever reason, I've gotten involved in a life group and I'm happy. It's taken years. Oh, this summer, I had a really dark summer, and I completely turned my back on God, and he came after me anyways, and he got me out of the darkest time I've ever gone through, and now I get to be here, and I didn't think I was moving back to Grand Rapids, but he brought me back here. Yes, my freshman year, one of the worst years of my life, I would say. Um, some of my roommates I didn't know when. I, I went, no one going in blind. Um, one day I walked in after a crappy day, a crappy day of classes, to one of my roommates on the ground overdosed on some of his medications. Um, whether it was intentional or unintentional, he was on the ground asking for help. I called EMTs that came and helped him. Um, I didn't see him for three years. I continued to pray consistently, consistently. God called me to pray for him um, with the divine consistency. I didn't know why. I didn't know I was going to be seeing him again um, until about a month ago. I met him in a line at Panda Express, and I was chatting with him. I was asking him how he was, and he said, God has done a miracle in me. God has done a miracle in me. Um, I'm not the same man that I was when you saw me on the ground, and I praise the Lord for that. Um, I didn't tell him that I kept praying for him after that. Um, I didn't need that credit to go to me because it wasn't my credit, right? Um, praise God for that. So for me, I am a nursing major, um, and those of you who know me 
would be like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Um, but for me, it never really did. I made it as a very logical decision of like, oh, I like science, I like people, let's do it. Um, and so that uncertainty makes it really, really hard to feel motivated in a difficult program um, when you're like, I don't know if I was even made for this. Um, but this semester, as I've gotten to begin clinicals, um, I got to experience something really cool. Um, and you know when there's like, you're, you're doing something and you're just like, oh my gosh, I feel so much like me, I was made to do this. Like this thing that I'm doing, I was made to do. Um, last week I got to feel that in a hospital while washing someone's feet. <laughs> I'm not very good at it, I got really soaked, like my scrubs were soaked, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but um, point being that like, God called me here, God affirmed nursing, even though I couldn't see it, I didn't know. Um, he's showed that this is where he wants me and that this is where I get to serve him and so I get to live that out faithfully even when it's really hard. So. Chapter four, the apostle Paul says this. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine. Amen? Then he says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. 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 Friends, God has grafted us into his story, and he is weaving together all of our stories into this much greater story 